Trainingport.net presents Business Aviation Training Report. Hello and welcome to the Business Aviation Training Report, a monthly survey of events in the business aviation world. I'm your host, Brent Fishlock. This podcast is produced by the leader in online training for business aviation, trainingport.net. We link the business aviation news of the day with the training needs of business operators, management, their support staff, maintainers, and pilots. We want to discuss topics that are important to business aviation professionals. So please send us your questions, comments, and suggestions at podcast at trainingport.net. That's podcast at trainingport.net. As the aircraft approached Quebec City, the aircraft was cleared for a visual approach to runway 24. On final approach, the flight crew observed a drone, about the size of a dinner plate, in front of the left wing. The pilot had no time to take evasive action. The impact was unavoidable and the drone disintegrated. The wing was slightly damaged and the aircraft landed safely. This quote is taken directly from the Transportation Safety Board's report into the October 2017 occurrence. Today's podcast is about drones and drone occurrences with aircraft. Drones, UAVs, unmanned aircraft vehicles, SUASs or small unmanned aircraft systems, whichever your preferred name, drones have grown in popularity at an alarming rate. Regulators are trying to keep up with the sheer number of drones and some users are flying them wherever they want, perhaps not realizing the consequences. I watched a recently filmed video of a drone taking off in Las Vegas, ascend straight up, and then film an airliner fly by directly underneath it in the landing configuration. The airliner was very close to the ground. The authorities are apparently searching for the filmmaker. Here's a bit of drone history. Drones were first deployed by the U.S. Army in 1940 for defense during World War II. Israel is said to have deployed drones in 1982 against Syria. In 1995, The U.S. reused a version called the MQ-1 Predator UAV. In 2010, a France-based company combined a drone with a smartphone and created a smartphone-controlled quadcopter. In 2012, the American Congress, as a result of increased drone use, instructed the FAA to integrate small drones into the national airspace by 2015. In 2013, Jeff Bezos of Amazon unveiled a plan to deliver products using drones and announced an investment of $2 million to develop drone technology. Companies such as Google, Intel, and GE are all invested in drones. They are coming in droves. So what is the drone market size? This information is from the U.S., but can be easily extrapolated elsewhere. The FAA is expecting robust growth in the hobby drone sector. Registration numbers are now above 1 million drones while the agency estimates the actual fleet size to be well above 1.5 million. At the industry's current pace, expectations are for the numbers to more than triple to 3.55 million by 2021 for an average annual growth rate of 26%. The FAA also expects the non-hobbyist or commercial fleet to grow at an even more rapid pace. In 2017, the number of commercially registered drones was over 100,000. The FAA expects growth in the commercial market by an average annual rate of 58% to 440000 by 2021. So what is the threat? The King Air in Quebec City destroyed the drone with its wing, but there is no guarantee that this will be the norm. 
There are countless designs, sizes, and weights of drones. Who's to say which type of drone will be observing your aircraft? In September 2018, the University of Dayton in Ohio did some research on drone impact with aircraft wings using their state-of-the-art cannon. The footage is extremely dramatic. I'll put a link to the video in the show notes. The university launched a 2.1-pound quadcopter at the leading edge of a wing. The wing was from a light airplane, and I was unable to find anyone shooting drones at larger wings, but I think the point is still made. The drone penetrated the wing's leaning edge fully and completely. Some debris exited the bottom of the wing. Perhaps more surprising is that the drone also damaged the spar. The research facility in Dayton has been doing bird strike tests on aircraft parts for 40 years, and a spar has never been damaged in a bird strike test. Other occurrences include, in April 2016, an airliner was struck by a drone while landing at Heathrow in the UK. In September 2017, a Black Hawk helicopter was struck by a drone over New York City, which dented its rotor. The Black Hawk landed safely. In June 2018, a Hughes 500 helicopter filming a road race in Mexico and on approach to his fuel cache struck a drone damaging the tail rotor and forcing an emergency landing in the desert. The helicopter was trucked for repairs. Okay, aviation professionals, let's change gears for a moment. In the news is a segment of the podcast where I talk about other happenings in aviation. A second and revised Nat Ops Bulletin 2018-005 Revision 1, dated 13 February 2019, has added the New York Oceanic West OCA, also known as Waters Airspace, to the list of oceanic control areas where the new oceanic contingency procedures became applicable on March 28, 2019. This was the subject of my last podcast, but when I recorded that podcast, the Waters OCA was not included in the rule change. My podcast was based on the previous bulletin and not the revised one. Everything in that podcast is still correct. The North Atlantic Systems Planning Group released a revised bulletin number 2018-005 revision 1, which added waters to the new rule. This is now effective, so ensure your crews are aware. The new contingency procedure now applies in the following OCAs. Gander, Shanwick, Santa Maria, Bodo, Reykjavik, Nuuk, which is the new name for the area over Greenland, previously called Sonderstrom, New York Oceanic East, which is included in the NAT, and just added February 13th, like I said, New York Oceanic West or Waters. Contingency procedures in other OCAs remain unchanged. Please refer to the actual document. I will put a link in the show notes as usual. However, Briefly, here are the basic differences in the procedures. For a diversion or a requirement to depart the track system, such as a major degradation in navigation capability, and if an ATC clearance cannot be obtained, turn right or left away from the clear track by at least 30 degrees. The other procedure is 45 degrees. Establish a 5 nautical mile parallel offset from the clear track. The other procedure is 15 nautical miles. And... ICAO strongly recommends to descend below flight level 290 prior to diverting. For an in-flight weather deviation where a revised ATC clearance cannot be obtained, the differences include maintain the cleared flight level if the deviation is less than 5 nautical miles, the prior procedure was 10 nautical miles, otherwise offset altitude at 5 nautical miles up or down 300 feet as per the procedure. 
If your flight will go through the Nat or New York waters to another oceanic control area, you'd have to be ready to use two different contingency procedures on the same flight based on where the emergency occurs. Ensure you are familiar with the OCA boundaries. Again, Bulletin 2018-005, Revision 1, released February 13, 2019, added waters airspace to this new contingency procedure. Before we get back to drones, I want to remind you that this podcast is brought to you by the leader in online training for business, aviation, trainingport.net. Okay, back to the podcast. So what is the drone market doing itself to be safe? The hobby drone industry itself is relatively new and is growing very fast. There are some drones that have no-fly zone technology programmed into the drone itself, which will keep it away from some airports. However, this technology can be turned off by a savvy operator. There's a lot of online shaming going on that is aimed at those that post videos of illegal drone activities or anyone videoing aircraft using a drone. I couldn't find an association of drone users or makers, but there's good information out there for those responsible drone operators who want to know how to safely operate their drones. What are the regulators doing? Rule makers are having to work very hard to catch up to the growth of the drone industry. The FAA has instituted rules whereby visible identification numbers must be fixed to certain drones. It requires all registered UAS operators to display the registration number on the drone instead of inside a compartment. This is a good first step to ensure that all UASs are visibly marked. The FAA also issued two rulemaking actions, one of which is a notice of proposed rulemaking to expand FAR Part 107 SUAS operations to include flight over people and operations at night. The proposal will require additional safety features before authorizing these types of operations. Transport Canada has new rules effective June 1st. The exclusion zone around airports is 3 nautical miles and 1 nautical mile around heliports. Some airports have geofencing around them, which is an invisible digital barrier that prevents remotely operated devices from entering the airport's airspace. However, this is a small area and aircraft are still vulnerable outside this area. Hobby drones can fly as high as 11,000 feet in some cases. Current laws limit drone flying height to four or 500 feet. However, as was proven in the island of Mauritius last year, drone operators don't always follow the rules. A drone operator parked his or her drone outside the airport's geofencing, well above 500 feet altitude, and recorded an Emirates Airbus 380 taking off and flying right by. There is discussion online that the video is fake, but many video experts have evaluated the footage and believe that it is real. It's doubtful the crew saw the drone as no maneuvers were flown to avoid it. I'll post the link in the show notes. What can we do as aviation professionals to prevent this dangerous activity? While there will always be those that will break the law, we can educate everyone relevant to the situation that we come in contact with about the dangers of risky drone flying. We can also be extremely vigilant in our low-level scan in the terminal area. I was riding in the back of an airliner about 10 years ago going into Denver. I was seated behind the wing and on final I noticed something stationary in the air below the aircraft. It was stationary but getting larger. I had never seen anything like that in the sky before and it got fairly close to the aircraft. After landing, I waited until most people had deplaned and told a flight crew member what I saw. Pilot said there was a remote control club in that area. Generally speaking, drone operators are supposed to register their drone, fly below 400 feet, keep the drone in sight, and abide by airspace regulations. There are also temporary flight restrictions for drones, such as flying over large groups of people, near emergency responders, and wildfire suppression activity. Many new regulations are coming out this year, so hopefully education will help mitigate the risk of a collision. Keep your eyes open on approach. 
Thanks for listening. That's our podcast for today. Podcast notes will be posted on our blog at trainingport.net slash podcast. We aim to discuss topics that are relevant to business aviation professionals, and we would love to hear your suggestions for future podcasts. You can email us at podcast at trainingport.net. That's podcast at trainingport.net. Don't forget to rate us on iTunes. Subscribe to this podcast so you'll never miss an episode. This podcast is brought to you by trainingport.net, leader in online business aviation training. I'm your host, Brent Fishlock. Have a great day and thank you for listening to Business Aviation Training Report. For more information on each episode, visit us at www.trainingport.net slash podcast. Trainingport.net, helping business aviation professionals excel.